Hey everyone, it's uh, Dr. Doug here with Dr. Josh. So sorry for the uh, the inconvenience and the delay from our last uh, podcast. Uh, we were going to uh, record a podcast earlier, but there was some construction here in the building and we finally found some time here after hours to record uh, kind of what's been going on with uh, without the uh, intrusion. So we've since been to all of our conferences, uh, save a couple that are, are in uh, Missouri and Texas. Uh, they all went incredibly well, met some fantastic practitioners that are very interested in the model, uh, and we got to continue to dispel some of the myths about uh, what direct primary care is, you know, direct primary care versus concierge care, and really kind of continue the movement towards what our uh, our true vision and, and goals are. So uh, I'll let Dr. Josh talk about our, our uh, one of our visits. Uh, first, we went to San Diego for the American Academy of Family Physicians Scientific Assembly. Wonderful experience. Great to hear all the other physicians talking, but also a great opportunity for us to speak as well. We started an hour early, and we stayed about two hours late. So there was an uh, overwhelming uh overwhelmingly positive response to the topic of direct primary care and all of our standard questions physicians really curious on how does this work and what are the nuts and bolts of setting up a practice but uh, I think it was summarized very well with a physician I believe from South Dakota who said why isn't every doctor doing this and of course we agree uh, I think this is a better model for family physicians and their patients. So that was a wonderful opportunity to be able to speak in front of the AFP. And then we moved on to uh, St. Louis as one of our stops, uh, asked to speak at the uh, Direct Primary Care Summit out there. And there, of course, we met uh, many physicians who uh, had a, a very similar mindset, you know, with uh, the AAFP uh, trying to talk to family physicians who are in a standard practice, considering joining, uh, you know, they've, they've heard uh, what they've heard through the media or, or how things may be different. But in, in St. Louis, there were a lot of patients, uh, or I'm sorry, physicians that are already uh, doing something like this and, and how we may uh, benefit uh, their model, uh, how things might be different uh, in their approach. Uh, some do a hybrid model, some do a straight direct primary care, uh, some try to work with insurance, etc. You know, all the things we've talked about before and uh, tried to help uh, discuss the issues that make uh, our model and, and what we're talking about, um, the, the system of no-nos, making it beneficial to the patient, to the employer, to the insurance company, to the physician. You know, all of those things really need to come together. Uh, and, and we heard it uh, multiple times, whether it be in San Diego or Denver or, or St. Louis, uh, many physicians said, well, why isn't everyone doing this? Or, um, you know, how can I somehow do this in my state? Is this something that's legal in the ACA? And we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, so it was, it was a wonderful time down there. Talked to, to Dr. Garrison Bliss from Q Lions and Brian Forrest out uh, from North Carolina and many physicians across the country that are, are very interested in this uh, and uh, are doing similar things or, or wanting to uh, kind of hybridize what they're doing into something like what we're doing. Absolutely. Great conference, great experience. Uh, and then wrapping it up was Denver with the American Association of Physicians and Surgeons, their 70th annual pres- or, uh, conference, 
wonderful to meet uh, a different mix of doctors, not just primary care, but surgeons and, and other specialists. Uh, a very conservative-minded group who focuses on that physician autonomy and their ability to practice medicine in a way that um, is free of insurance. So very interesting group, great uh, response. They were very receptive to the idea of direct primary care. They said it was, I'm sorry, the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, but uh, very receptive to our uh, our message. They said it was one of the best conferences they've had on the topic of an insurance-free practice. So we were very honored to uh, hear that they they thought so highly of our our talk. And a common theme that was kind of interesting to, to Dr. Josh and myself, you know, Sometimes we just were heading for a cup of coffee or some yogurt and, uh, you know, we'd be besieged by medical students and residents and other physicians alike. And some of them would say, you know, geez, I've, I've been meaning to ask you some questions for several days now, but I can, you're always just very swamped. So that was an interesting uh, uh, kind of a, a situation or problem to have, you know, to be so... Well, it's a great problem yeah. to have, yeah. And then meeting with the med students, for any med students who are listening, uh, again, just wonderful to reach out to the next generation of physicians so and actually we had uh, uh, somewhat uh, late got in about one in the morning to st louis from uh, wichita because we uh, we had a google chat with some uh, medical students in ohio uh, and really i think hope to change some some attitudes and some minds about how this could impact them as as future practitioners you know some uh, and we've talked about it before how some are somewhat irritated that they have to go through their training in the current system only to come out and do something like what we're doing where they can actually be a part of their, their patient's uh, uh, care. Uh, but that was, that was very helpful um, uh, and, and nice to see such activity and interest from the medical student uh, side of things. We'll be heading to Branson in, in November in Dallas as well for the Physician Summit, so that'll be an excellent excellent opportunity to meet more doctors. I would encourage physicians who uh, are interested in learning more about the movement of direct primary care to register and attend the Dallas, Dallas Conference. The uh, Branson Conference will be for the Missouri Academy of Family Physicians, and again, we look forward to doing that. And met uh, one of the local physicians from that chapter uh, in St. Louis and hope to talk to him again. Uh, we of course uh, we have a lot to say that that we've we've broadcast in these podcasts, but you know in person some of the questions that continue to filter in uh, via our uh, our site uh, we we uh, ask that you continue to send those in. We're more than happy to talk or, or email back and forth. But uh, a lot of these questions we'll cover in our our talks when we're actually in person. Uh, and we find that a lot of the questions are the same when it comes from the practitioners. So moving on, um, we'd like to talk about the Affordable Care Act. I think from our conferences, one of the uh, larger questions and more, more frequent questions we heard from physicians was they wanted extra clarification on how the Affordable Care Act would affect direct primary care. And of course, during uh, some of the conferences, the shutdown was currently in process, so we're recording this after the shutdown has uh, has ceased, but uh, nonetheless, the aftermath is has yet to be discussed. So, most importantly, we want physicians to understand that this is a legal option. So, under Section 1301A3, like we've talked about, and you can go to dpcare.org to 
really see a nice outline of this, but it is a legal option for it. I'm sorry, let's take back up and say direct primary care with an approved wraparound insurance plan is a legal option to participate with the exchanges. Now, philosophically, I, I disagree that the government gets to define what our model is or what insurance we work with. This is legal even outside of the Affordable Care Act, and there's questionable value whether or not we need to participate with the exchanges. Uh, but at, at least moving forward, the model is strategically positioned to be successful inside of health reform or outside of health reform. So I, we want doctors to feel very comfortable with that concept that this isn't going to somehow be reversed all of a sudden after they've made a monumental change in the style of their practice. What we want to do really is is talk about a few uh, and, and, you know, to be honest, the, the scope of this podcast uh, can't encompass how direct primary care benefits patients, but we'll give just a few examples personally of what we have seen and done to affect and benefit patients as far as uh, direct care is concerned and, and how that basically would correlate even with the, the Affordable Care Act. Um, again, if you want even more examples, you can always call or email or text. Um, some of our examples from year one have changed from year three only because uh, we, we have newer and even better examples, but, but they continue nonetheless. So I'll let Josh uh, talk about the first example that he has. One of my favorite examples is uh, a patient who was um, mid-30s, uninsured. She was going to uh, Walgreens to buy name brand Prilosec and spending $140 a month. And so very expensive care, very fragmented care for one family member and for one condition. And every couple of months she had to go back and pay a, a, a cash price as an uninsured patient to her primary care doc to get the refill. So in our model of direct primary care, where we do medications in-house, she was able to get that same medicine for $1.55 a month, generical meprazole, 30 pills. And um, she was was able to save that. So $1.55, she felt the value of our care was so important that she went ahead and signed up her whole family, $50 for each adult and $10 for each kid. So her total cost was $121.55 a month, and she was still saving $18.50. So that she had full scope family care for her entire family, even though they were uninsured, plus the medicine she needed and extra money in her pocket. And, and that was just representative of a paradigm shift for what direct primary can do relative to um, direct primary care versus the standard model. Well, and a, a big part of the, the issue, of course, is, you know, with the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, whatever, uh, we, we've talked about coverage, but we really haven't talked about provision of care uh, in our, our previous podcast, we've, we've talked about coverage being a card in your wallet, but care being sitting down with a provider. Whether that provider is a physician or a uh, you know, nurse practitioner or physician's assistant, um, coverage doesn't really mean much. And uh, you can look at the state of Massachusetts for that, you know, making a, an appointment with your primary care physician before and after they... Uh, essentially opened up their uh, their system. So, uh, patient of, of mine, uh, his his wife actually, who was not currently a patient. <laughs> excuse me, had uh, 
tried to get in with her regular physician because she was having a lot of trouble uh, with some ill, <coughs> excuse me, some ill family members, and she really was not doing very well. And this is otherwise a very, very capable and high functioning individual. Well, she called on a Thursday to a physician who has taken care of her for years, and they said that they would squeeze her in. On Wednesday, well, this being Thursday, that means Wednesday is next week. That's six days away. Well, she's not even a patient of mine, but I know her husband, and discussing with him, I know now her problem. I get her in to the clinic in about 45 minutes. So she, who literally is in the midst of essentially just a nervous breakdown of she needs help, she needs someone, she needs someone to talk to, I get her in within the hour. Her physician can get her in within the week. And that's that, not the physician's fault necessarily, no. but we've said it before. It's good physicians forced to practice bad medicine because of a broken system. It, it's unacceptable. Right. And through this system, I, I actually incidentally ran into her at uh, a, a pumpkin patch, uh, ran into her husband uh, while I was I was going down a, a slide with my son, ran into her husband, recognized him, he recognized me, and he looked at me almost as if I were unreal and said, my wife is texting you right now. And sure enough, she was actually sending me a text message about something uh, completely unrelated to this, but the fact that we happened to run into each other, we recognize each other, I found her there at the pumpkin patch, we walked off kind of to the side and discussed her issue. Uh, she couldn't have been more pleased that she was able to uh, discuss these things. And, of course, I didn't even consider sending her a bill for services rendered because that's that's what direct primary care is. And it's not a problem to be bothered on the weekend because it's so great to actually know your patient and have a lot of their medical history in your mind but then not be so burnt out that now this is a stress to you. This is an opportunity to grow a practice and to grow a relationship with the patient. So wonderful things that direct primary care allows us uh, compared to the traditional system. I had one patient, and I, I think a common example is, or complaint is that this is really only designed for wealthy people, and that couldn't be farther from the truth. So we, we get a lot of referrals from our local, quote, free clinic. Because they have a $45 copay now. Well, I had a patient who was paying the $45 copay and she was paying $200 for a trigger point injection every month. Well, that's 30 cents in lidocaine for us. So we do that procedure for free. So her $50 a month membership and unlimited, essentially, opportunity to do her trigger points to feel much better, it, it, it means that she's saving upwards of $200 a month. And she feels better, and she doesn't have the anxiety or stress or worry about having to find $200 extra dollars a month or go in pain. So when direct primary care can now offer not only visits but procedures to patients in an affordable way that actually makes them money, I think that's the type of doctor that we always dreamed of being, and now we have a model that supports it. So we, you know, we, we continue on, you know, it, it, it's kind of, uh, you know, same song, second verse of, of what we discuss. But, you know, direct primary care is, regardless of what you call it, it's really all semantics. Uh, you know, recently I actually addressed this issue with a colleague who's a pulmonologist, used to live here in Wichita, now is up in Maine. 
essentially saying that you know the days of, of seeing your doctor who delivers your babies and, and sees you through your your uh, your entire life, you know those days are over. And I went on to say that the days of Marcus Welby are are alive and well because your doctor doesn't need the government to come in and say how you care for those patients. That's what I went to medical school for. I should be reading the latest data. I should be looking at the best ways to take care of you. But I don't need the government to tell me how to do that, who I can care for, how long, what tests I need to order. You know, these things are what you expect from your physician as a professional. And in that doctor-patient relationship, this is the only way that can occur. I'd rather know a lot more about my patients and how to treat them than how to bill and code and document for them. Uh, so the, I, I think direct primary care really puts the focus right back on the patient. Um, but that wraps up this week's podcast. Thank you all very much for uh, listening, and we hope this is helpful. Please Keep your questions rolling absolutely. in, please. Yep. Um, you can email us for anything, hello at atlas.md. So physicians who are interested and want to know how to start their practice, we consult for free. Med students who have questions about how to plan for their future, please email us. These questions that are coming in are wonderful. If you're a patient or a physician who is interested in doing direct primary care models, please register at IWantDirectCare.com so that patients or doctors in your area can know that you're out there. And lastly, follow our blog, atlas.md blog, for how-to articles and updates on legal changes with the Affordable Care Act and all sorts of things to show that uh, or to, to further your understanding of the model. Lastly, we're, we're just finishing our beta test phase of our new software. So if you're interested in direct care or you're doing direct primary care and you want an EMR built just for what you need, please register online, contact us so that we can get you in. We, we hope to open this up publicly uh, in the next couple of weeks. And we've actually had great success Wonderful. so far with uh, the, the clinics that we've utilized that have transitioned into using it. Uh, they they have uh, had uh, you know essentially said it's nothing short of uh, amazing as far as what what its abilities are because again it's made by direct primary care doctors for direct primary care it, it's to it's hear not, from other doctors that this is the first EMR that they've actually enjoyed using is really just you know kind of a, a personal badge of honor so well, and it's nothing you know one of the one of the systems we looked at basically used. Uh, something that's essentially used for gym memberships, but it's been somewhat utilized for direct primary care. And of, of course, it's used to track uh, memberships as far as billing, but you know how you integrate labs and pharmacy and uh, notes and all of that. You're just utilizing something that it was never meant to do. You know, it, it, it's it's akin to just utilizing a piece of equipment that's uh, it's wrong just tool not, for yeah, the wrong job. It, it's just it's. Take a look at our software if you're at all interested. So Thanks we'll, again. Uh, we'll, we'll make this uh, the next one sooner than later, so uh, we'll keep you posted. Have a great day. Thanks for listening.